Help us to see the cross today. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, I took a cup. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, the men are going to pass the baskets to collect your cups. And at the same time, Pastor Phil's going to come and talk to us for just a few moments. Uh, actually, oh, wait, do we have something else? We have one more song. Then Pastor Phil will come. Got to share this song. This song is, um, I believe, between me and Darcy. My dear sister, what a testimony. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. All our hope is in Jesus. Yeah. 
Well, all my hope is also in Jesus. We have been, for the last uh, six weeks or so, showing you little clips from American Heritage Girls and Trail Life. And if there was ever a time when a group like this is needed, it's today. And so I thought we'd flesh it out just a little more with some information. Uh, American Heritage Girls, uh, guiding girls, girls to learn who they are and whose they are in Christ. That's good. I like that. Who they are in Christ and whose they are. They are His. And they uh, provide Christ-centered program, a scout-type programming for girls from 5 to 18. And as the girls get closer to the 18, they can certainly help with the troop. Uh, typically, you would start with the younger and work up, and I'm sure that's what will happen here. In order to get started, uh, we need some workers. We need some help. So here's something to pray about, think about. Uh, and we can flesh these out a little more in person, but just let me give you an idea of what is needed. The charter representative is going to be Pastor Bill at this point. Down the road, he may give that up, but he will be the initial contact directly with American Heritage Girls. Uh, then a troop coordinator, and this is really a key person to kind of oversee the, the program as a whole with the church. Uh, it'll take some time, but they estimate around 10 hours a month to, to do this. A vice coordinator to fill in in the times when the coordinator is not available. Troop treasurer at this point we have handled. We will not need a treasurer, so that's one position that's not needed. But then there would be a troop shepherd, someone among the ladies, who could simply arrange for or share a very brief devotion. Uh, and each week there will be something from the Word, perhaps a testimony from someone in the congregation, and that troop shepherd would be responsible for organizing this. The idea of having that team is that one person doesn't have to do it all. Trail life is for boys. And it's, uh, you see that it's adventure. It's an activities-based, uh, similar to Boy Scouts, but yet different because it's local church-based and it's Christ-based. So the idea is to nurture young men in their faith, help them to grow up and know who they are in Jesus. Uh, you can get a little bit of their statement of purpose there from the board and then they too have some positions that are needed. Uh, for now, I will operate as the troop ministry liaison. Once again, that simply is communicating back to Trail Life and making sure we have supplies that we need and so forth. But we need somebody to chair this thing up. We need a key guy, and this one is key, that can oversee it, that can help organize it, uh, again, it's probably something that might require 10 to 12 hours a month. Someone who loves these boys, and they can show that love through this local trail life troop. Uh, also, we will need a troop master. The troop master is probably the face of the troop to the parents. When parents bring their kids, it's the troop master they're going to talk to first. So, another key position, uh, a chaplain and the treasurer is handled. So those three key positions need filled. Pray about it. Think about it. If you want to learn more, talk to Pastor Bill, talk to me. And let's pray together that this effort 
trail item and American Heritage Girls serves a void, and we're looking for the community. Uh, our intent is to reach out past just our own local church membership, make this available to the community. Thank you, Pastor Phil. You know, we've tried all kinds of different things here to try to reach out to get some younger folks. Our demographic grows more and more gray every year, and uh, we would really like to see some change to that. And so we've tried a variety of things, and this is yet another thing we're trying. At one point, we put up that we were going to try and uh, start an Awana program here. Well, Awana is something that's offered just about in every church that seems around here. Uh, and so there's not as, as, as big of a void for that. Uh, and plus, when we put that out, there was no one who was willing to help with that. And so uh, this seems to be a little bit less people intensive. I think it's a little bit more fits our church. And I think also it's something that is greatly needed. We don't have any other groups, trail uh, life troops or Marion Heritage Girl troops in our immediate area. I think the closest one was Hudson and Talmadge. There was one over there. Um, but uh, it's, it's not something that we're competing with other churches on. And so I believe it is something that would be uh, very good for our church. And, and I also believe, as Phil said, that this is something that is, that is greatly needed um, and would reach our community. Because the fact is, uh, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts uh, have pretty much lost their minds and uh, are no longer even remotely Christian, uh, whereas this is. And so pray about it. If the, if the Lord leads on, lays it on your heart to help, then I pray that you will do that. Take your Bibles this morning. And turn to the book of Proverbs. This is going to be another of our uh, studies in Proverbs where you're just going to, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if you'll want to try to keep up or not, or just uh, take notes and write these things down and, and go back later. I'm going to read an awful lot of scripture today. But um, I want to t- talk to you today, and I changed the title of my message because I thought that my message was really more about uh, something else. And uh, I want to talk very specifically on does Proverbs have anything to say about sex? What does Proverbs say about marriage? What does it teach about sex? Or any other interactions between men and women? What does it say about how men and women ought to live together when they are married? We would like to think, I I believe, that these are new questions. But the fact is, every generation since the first generation has dealt with these questions. Solomon, who, who wrote not only most of Proverbs, but also the book of Ecclesiastes, which Bill started studying this morning in his Sunday school class, he wrote in Ecclesiastes, uh, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And it, there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 9 is written. There's nothing new about any of the issues that we face or the questions that we have about these things. But, that being said, a lot of the things we're seeing in our culture today feel new, don't they? Or they might feel new to some of us. So just like we're asking this question of, of every topic that we've touched on here in, uh, in the study of Proverbs, uh, how do we teach our children about these things? How do we train them up for God? How, how do we convince them to order their lives and relationships around God's moral law? when they live in a world that ridicules God's truth. 
flaunts its disobedience to God's law, blares that disobedience and ridicule across every form of media 24 hours a day, how do we compete with that? We as Christians know the truths about these things. There's nothing I'm going to talk about here today that's even remotely new. We know this stuff. But sadly, many of us live completely opposite. Christians today live together outside of marriage all the time. Christians today view pornography. Christians today pick and choose which of God's moral laws they're willing to obey and which they will ignore. How do we teach our children God's truth when they see so many who ought to be role models doing just the opposite? No one can sniff out a hypocrite faster than our kids. No one. Well, today I want to examine what Proverbs has to say about this. And the rest of Scripture as well. I want to see what it has to say about relationships, about marriage, and about sex. Parents, we need to decide whether we believe these things. Whether we believe the Bible and are willing to live the truths before we think of even considering teaching. We have to decide if we believe Remember that first foundational truth that we talked about? It has to be real with us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. And so I want to start there this morning. I want to make sure we know it, believe it, accept it, and live it. Because then and only then can and should we teach it to our children. Now this is a monstrous subject. Satan has been fighting me on this all week long and is fighting me even as we speak. Uh, so pray for me about that. But it's a huge subject, and we can only just touch the surface on it this morning. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of questions that remain. Just not time to talk about everything. But we'll hit some high points. And doubtless, some of those high points are going to upset some. We're living in an age when people are so morally confused, they have no understanding of what's right now. So morally confused, they don't know the difference between a man and a woman. Who would have believed that? Can't define the terms, man or woman. We're living in an age where people are fighting violently in the streets for the right, and I put that in air quotes because there is no such right, but their perceived right to murder their babies up until the very last second of the football. What? Is it on? Yeah. Any other interruptions you want to make? <laughs> just teasing. I'm going to compliment you in just a moment. So. <laughs> I wanted to get a dig in first. No, seriously. Think about the mess that our society is in. We're, li we're, we're living in a society that's led, our country, led by two political parties, one of which just voted all at once to allow the murder of a baby up until the very second it is born. The moral quagmire of our society is astonishing. To those who believe such things, the truth of the Bible is simply unacceptable. And I hope such is not the case with any in this room, but even if it is, I have to tell you the truth this morning. I have to preach the truth from Scripture. Paul asked the Galatians, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And as your pastor, I have to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. Spurgeon, Spurgeon wrote, we shall not adjust our Bible to the age, but before we have done it by God's grace, we shall adjust the age to the Bible. That's the goal. 
He also, one time, in speaking to a group of pastors, said this. He said, you and I cannot be useful if we want to be sweet as honey in the mouths of men. God will never bless us if we wish to please men, that they may think well of us. Are you willing to tell them what will break your own heart in the telling? And break their sin in the hearing? If not, you are not fit to serve the Lord. You must be willing to go and speak for God, though you will be rejected. So I will tell you the truth this morning from Scripture, and I pray God's Holy Spirit will help me to make it clear. But I pray also that it will enable all of us to receive it and believe it and live it and teach it to our young ones. Because if we can't receive it and believe it and live it ourselves, there is no point in opening our mouths to try to teach our children. I'm going to share a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to do that so you know I'm not preaching my own opinions. I'm just going to bury myself in the Bible today and uh, let that speak. And I'd encourage you, like I said earlier, to take notes maybe, write down the references so you can be- review them on your own later, because it's going to be pretty pretty much like the time we've got this morning. And of course, the notes are available if you want them later, and live streaming podcasts and all that stuff. So let's talk this morning about this just a little bit and ask ourselves, first of all, what does Proverbs say about these things, and actually it says a lot. It's important to remember that most of Proverbs was written from the perspective of a father speaking to a son. That perspective is seen throughout. It seems very masculine, but ladies, don't, uh, don't think for a minute that the principles exclude you. Many times I believe the things he wrote to his son are universal in application, and we can just flip them right around, and they're just as true. So notice some of the things that he wrote here. He wrote, first of all, marriage is good. Marriage is good. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Marriage is good. Now, now, I have to stop here for just a moment, uh, for, for just a couple of reasons. First of all, I have to stop to express the, the irony of Solomon writing these things. Let us remember that Solomon had 700 wives, and I can't remember how many concubines he had. Uh, it just seems odd to me that he was the one writing this. The Proverbs is the Word of God, though, and it's not for debate. These, these truths are real. But when one considers that, it seems at least a bit humorous to me. That he was writing what he was writing. But second, I also want to stop to add my personal testimony to this. And see, I said I was going to give you a compliment. Uh, you know, I was married to Beth for 35 years. I've been married to Kathy now for six. And uh, as I meditated this week on Solomon's words, uh, especially there in uh, verse number, uh, chapter 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor for the Lord. As I thought, I wrote in my journal. And I wrote this in my journal. Thank you, Father, that I am twice. I can testify that in both cases, marriage has been good. So far. (laughs) Perhaps the the main passage that we think of in Proverbs about this is Proverbs chapter 31. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. 
She is like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands from the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. If she reaches out her hands to the needy, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen garments, garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but she would sell them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she should be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Proverbs 31, verse 10 and following. And I know many men in this room would say amen to that. And every man in this room should say amen to that. If you want to survive the day. <laughs> Finding a marrying a godly Christian woman is good. Marriage is good. And ladies, I believe this is one of those places, one of those areas where I believe turning it around is appropriate. The same is true, I believe, for you. Finding a good Christian husband is good. Marriage is good. The Proverbs has more to say than that. Proverbs also says marriage can be hard. Now perhaps it's not so difficult to imagine Solomon with his 700 wives writing some of these words. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 4. I read part of this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But how about the second part? She who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 19.13, the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Proverbs 21, verse 9, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 25, verse 24, he repeated it again. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 27, verse 15, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman. Are alike. Isn't that a picturesque thing? <laughs> that continual dripping on a very rainy day. Oh my goodness. And man, let me tell you something. We're not off the hook on this one either. Again, the perspective of Proverbs is father to son. So he writes to his son about women. But we men can hose up our marriages just as bad and just as easy and be just as contentious as women. And I think you could reverse the genders in those verses and they would be just the same. So in other words, while marriage is meant to be good and designed by God for our joy and fulfillment, and it's a truly wonderful thing, it can also become pretty bad. And that happens not because of anything that is wrong with marriage itself, the institution itself, but when one or both of the partners of the marriage mess it up. And here's what happens when that happens. Because marriage can be so terribly messed up, and we see it happen so many times, people decide the institution itself is the problem. 
Because sinning men and women have messed it up. They call it bad, regardless of the fact God has called it good. They walk away from it. They somehow believe there's some other way. Living together outside of marriage is better. Sex outside of marriage is preferable. And we find that kind of reaction in all areas of the faith. It's not, it's not just marriage. People watch Christians fail, and they decide, you know what, I don't want to hang around Christians who are such hypocrites and sinners. And so they start blowing off the church, which God has said we ought to be faithful to. That reaction isn't dumb. Just because sinners make a mess of what God has called good does not change the fact that it is good. It does not give us leave to abandon that which God has called good. A good pastor friend of mine recently wrote the disciples didn't quit following Jesus because of Judas. And that's true. It's true. We should not avoid the Bible truth about marriage just because some struggle with a contentious wife or a contentious husband. The truth of marriage remains it is good, even though sometimes we make it hard. So marriage is good. Marriage can be hard. Here's the third part, and this is the part that's going to upset some. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. Always. I want to read an extended portion of Proverbs here, uh, so you'll know this is not me. You can turn with me if you want to. Proverbs chapter 5. And let me just read some of this this morning. Proverbs chapter 5, and we'll read a little bit of chapter 6 as well. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning at verse number 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin. In the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the courts of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Jump down to verse 20 of chapter 6. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction of the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, 
Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief. He steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore he will not spare the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give many gifts. Pretty rough stuff from Solomon here. And we can sum up his words, I think, in a simple phrase. Immoral women are a bad thing. It seems to be what he's saying there. And they are to be avoided. But again, remember the perspective. The perspective is a father to the son. I believe the same exact thing is true of the ladies as well. Uh, I think we can reverse the genders in those passages. Immoral men are a bad thing and are to be avoided as well. Ladies. Now, there's a lot more we can glean, I suppose, from Proverbs. Well, let's stop there for just a moment and summarize. We see marriage is good. It's designed to be so. We've seen marriage can be messed up, and it's usually the partners in the marriage who do that. It's not the marriage itself, or the institution of marriage. It's still good. And then this third truth, sex, any kind outside of marriage, is sin and to be avoided. I'm sure there's other things we could talk about in Proverbs, but that's enough for now. Let's, let's turn our attention now to what the rest of the Bible has to say. Does it agree? Does it have anything else to say? Well, I think, interestingly, it reinforces the same truths. The rest of the Bible tells us the same thing. It says marriage is good. From the book of beginnings, Genesis, we read this. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and 24. Marriage was instituted by God as a good thing. It was not good for the man to be alone, God said. And so he made him a wife. And so marriage is good. Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth was written at least in part because he was answering a bunch of questions that they seemed to have sent him. And they apparently asked him quite a few questions about marriage and sex. Notice what he wrote. He said, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That entire section, that entire passage is talking about sex between a man and a woman. And he wrote there that it is meant for the relationship between a husband and a wife. That cannot be denied. That's, that's the context in which he's writing, within marriage. And notice that he referred to sex outside of those bond boundaries as sexual immorality, verse number 2. And the tempting of Satan, verse number 5. 
Perhaps the author of Hebrews gives us the clearest summary. He says marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. And so marriage is good. Sex within marriage is good. Proverbs teaches that, and so does the rest of Scripture. That's just a couple of places. The rest of the Bible also teaches us that sex outside of marriage is sin. I, I only read the first half of that verse from Hebrews. Let me read the rest of it now. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but, that's a big word, but, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 4. Now, I suppose we ought to define a couple of words there. The word fornicators is used there. The word adulterers is used there. So what are those? And we've talked about this before. Adultery, almost without exception. I think Josh managed to nail me with an exception one time on this. I can't remember. So I have to say now, almost without exception. Adultery refers, it's a very narrow term, it refers to sexual relationships that take place between a man and a woman who are not married to each other, but where there is a marriage involved. It is a violation of the marriage vows. One or both of them were married to somebody else. In other words, marriage is involved, but not between them. Adultery is sex with another man's wife, or sex with another woman's husband. Fornication, on the other hand, is a much broader term. It, it, marriage may or may not be involved. It refers to any and all forms of sexual sin, whether, whether or not there's marriage. Adultery is fornication. Adultery is the narrow term. It's included in fornication. So too is premarital sex. So too is sex uh, between two unmarried but cohabiting people. Homosexuality is fornication. Viewing pornography is fornication. Actually, the very word pornography. It's a deriva derivation of the Greek word pornea. That's what we get the word for. Uh, so with those definitions in mind, notice again what the author of Hebrews wrote. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Clearly, sex outside of marriage is sin. Other passages teach us the same thing. God's commandment was and is, has not been changed, never will be. You shall not commit adultery. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It could not be stated more clearly. Paul wrote again to the Corinthians, who apparently had so many questions about these things. He said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Proverbs says it. All of Scripture says it. Sex outside of marriage is Finally, let's notice what Paul wrote about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. I don't know how we talk about marriage without going to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and following. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Key phrase. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think that passage backs up, clarifies the Bible on all these things. Therein we see that marriage was created for a man and a woman to live together monogamously. In complementary roles, we can talk about that in a long time. Committed for life. And here's the most important part. Picturing the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so important for us to pattern our relationships after the biblical pattern? Why does all this matter? Because there's meaning behind it. There's a purpose. There's a testimony to the world in marriage. Marriage, which is so good when we don't mess it up, is a wonderful picture of the, to the world of what we have in our relationship with Christ. Do we ever fail Him? Of course we do. Do we ever mess up our relationship with Him? Sir? He never fails us, but we fail him often. Still, the relationship can never be broken. His love for us, his commitment to his bride, it's eternal. It's unending. And a husband committed to his wife, and a wife committed to her husband, in a lifelong marriage, testify to that wonderful union that we have in Christ. There's a meaning to it. that just transcends just our own personal. I don't want to belabor this. Uh, I want to move on to something else. I know this has been kind of heavy this morning. But let's think through some of the implications. Let's go back to our original question. What should we teach our children? And so let me just give you a few suggestive thoughts about how we teach these things to our kids. And they're in no particular order. Except maybe this one, which I believe has to be first. I think we need to start with those foundations that we've been talking about through the last few weeks. I keep coming back to the four foundational truths from Proverbs. Because without them, nothing else makes sense. And so if we don't get those four truths into our kids, more, more importantly, if they don't see those four truths modeled in us, let's not even bother talking about these things. Remember those four truths? It has to be real with you first. They have to see it in you first. Number two, the Bible has to be the handbook in your home and life. That is what our guide is. Not Instagram, not Facebook, not Twitter, not anything in our world. The Bible has to be the handbook in our life. They have to see that in you. There is no substitute for distance in dealing with sin. That was number three. They have to see that we understand the reality of sin and strive to stay away from it. Before we ask them to do the same. And then the fourth one was children need to be trained by parents. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6. Children need to be trained. Those four foundation truths, and that fourth one is interesting. That fourth one doesn't just stop with words. Train up a child in the way he should go. Some translations uh, render that as hedge them in. Protect them. Protect them from sexual sin, which is absolutely everywhere they are looking. Absolutely everywhere they are looking. Phones, streaming media, everything. We need to protect them. Parents. Body Bachman one time said, 
We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. He was talking about education there. Very valid point. But I think it applies to the topic at hand. We cannot let our kids be exposed to the opposite of biblical truth 24 hours a day in every possible form that it comes into their lives and then wonder why they turn away from biblical truth when they're old enough to do so. We read it earlier in Proverbs chapter 6. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? We cannot expect them to be viewing and seeing and being exposed to all this stuff. And so our children must see these things lived out in our lives. We must teach them to our children, but we must also protect them from these things as best we can. So that was number one. Start with those four foundational principles. Number two, teach them that these things, all of this stuff we're talking about related to sex and marriage, is ultimately about our relationship with God. That's the ultimate truth. Joseph knew that to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife was to sin against God. Look at what he said to her. He said, there is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He knew the issue was far bigger than just a tryst with a woman. This was a thing between him and God. And our kids need to know that. David knew that in committing adultery with Bathsheba, he was sinning against God. And God alone. He said in Psalm chapter 51, his prayer of repentance after all that was behind him. He said, against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil. Now, think about this. He had sinned with Bathsheba. I mean, he had committed adultery with this woman. But the sin was not against her. It was against God and God only. He had murdered her husband to cover up his sin. But the sin was not against Uriah. The sin was against God and God alone. He knew that in this matter, as in all matters, sin is against God and God alone. It is a violation of that relationship that makes this so wrong. Our kids need to understand. We need to understand that. The Puritan prayed, Let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. What we do when we commit adultery or in any of these other things is we sin against God. Our children must see that we believe this. We live this. And then we must teach the same to them. That's number two. Number three, teach them that this world is not their home. This world is not their home. Vance Havner once said, there never has been a culture since this world began in which a New Testament Christian could feel at home. Just yesterday I was reading an article somewhere online. I can't remember where I read it. He was talking about six things we should repeat to ourselves every day. The first three are I am a child of God. God is my Father. And heaven is my home. world is not our home. We do not order our lives according to this lost world. We order our lives according to God's revealed world. This must be true of every aspect of our life, including relationships. Our children have to see that in us. And then we must teach the same to them. Number four, teach them to pray about these things. 
Teach them to pray about these things. Model it first and, and, and let them see how you pray about all such things. Then teach them to do the same. Teach them to pray for purity. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Teach them to pray for purity. We need his help to live as he wants us to live. Teach them to pray for right relationships and right associations and right friends who will help them in their desire to live for God rather than hinder them and lead them astray. Teach them to pray for faith, to believe the Bible of the world, for courage to stand against the ridicule of the world, for protection from temptation which is seemingly overwhelming. Teach them to pray. Model first, then teach them. Number five, teach them the importance of reading their Bibles daily. Again, model it first. Let them see how important your daily Bible reading time is to teach them to do the same. Brother Don loves to quote Psalm 119.11. What is that verse, Brother Don? Amen. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Saturating our minds with Scripture is the best antidote to the trash that the world would fill it with instead. John Bunyan said, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Sinclair Ferguson said, the more our minds are saturated in Scripture, the greater will be its impact on our mental processes at every level. Teach them the importance of reading the Bible. Number six, teach them that they are loved. And everything God asks of them is only and ever good. Don't let your kids think of these things as hardships. And don't you think of them that way either, parents. Always and in every way remind your kids God is good, always. God is good, always. And every instruction he has given is for our good, always. John Piper said the challenge is not merely to do what God says because he is God, but to desire what God says because he is good. You know how we get it. Finally, number seven. Teach them that if they do fall, he will always be there to pick them up. If they do fall, he will always be there to pick them up. Just like you and I fail at these things, so too will our kids. They need to know that when that happens, they are still loved and they are still cherished by the Savior who died for them. Spurgeon says something, and I've quoted Spurgeon a lot on this, but it's a good guy to quote. Perhaps the words of Spurgeon would sum it up best, so let me just end with this. He said, You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, horrid, you know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary, its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come to God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the eleventh hour and to say to the dying thief today, shall thou be with me in paradise. Parents teach them that if they fail, you will always be there to pick them up. Model these things first, and then teach them.
Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. This has been a hard message for some reason for me to preach, and I pray that it's been helpful in spite of that. I pray that you will guide and direct us all as we think about these things. When we talk about relationships, sexual relationships, it just hits so close to where we live. And so help us, Father. We need your help. We need your help as parents to know how to teach these things to our kids. We know we need your help as as parents to know how to model these things before our kids. And Lord, we live in a world that is filled with so much of the opposite thinking. It has so infiltrated the church. It has so infiltrated Christian lives. It's so prevalent to see Christians living in ways other than the way you have described here. So help us with that. I pray today that you would guide us and direct us to make any decisions we need to make. Help us right now in the quietness of the invitation. If, if you're speaking to our heart to just talk to you about these things. If we need to repent of some things, help us to do it. If we need to uh, talk to you about any of it. We know your ear is open. We know that you always are there. We know the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so help us with that if we need to. And Father, I, I haven't talked about salvation really here today, but uh, this has been a message for Christians. I pray if there is anybody here today who is not a Christian, um, I pray, Father, that you just work in their heart right now. And if they feel you draw them to the cross, I pray they trust you as their Savior this day. Lord, I don't know what other needs there might be. If there are other needs amongst your people, help us as we wrap up our service to spend some time talking with you and uh, just responding as you have us to. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and turn your books to page 454?
I pray, Father, that we'll recognize that this is the Word of God and that uh, you only mean it for our good. Help us, Lord, with these things. Help us to be the teachers of our children and our grandchildren that we ought to be. Help us to be the examples that we ought to be in all of these things. And then, Lord, I pray as you go with us, use us for your glory this week. Help us, Father, to be testimonies and disciples for you and disciples for you. And uh, I pray for all the things that are going to be going on this week, Lord. Busy, busy time is, is uh, a lot of activity supposed to be happening for, around the building. I pray that you'll just continue to finish this thing and finish it soon. And Lord, we just thank you for all these things. And we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.